your host, Wesley Stace. Let's open the door of the Cabinet of Wonders, presented by Salon.com. When the children have been good, that is, be it understood, good at mealtime, good at play, good all night and good all day, they shall have the pretty things this Cabinet of Wonders brings. But... Dirty, romping girls and boys who tear their clothes and make a noise, spoil their pinafores and sheets, and deserve no special treats such as these will never yet enjoy our special cabinet. The door is locked. Your money is spent. May I present the cabinet, its contents, and its discontents. Townsman, cast your eyes on Merman. No Australian Bruce or warlike German of Russian stock. This comic, sir, like Yakov Smirnov, only funny, yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's Eugene Merman! <laughs> I asked Emma for the correct pronunciation of the family surname. Straub, or Straub, but she said it's ow, just like I punched you in the arm. That post-dated this poem. <laughs> Her writing everything surveys, all matter it absorbs. <laughs> she has many a fan. I'm not talking Ayn Rand. Thank God it's Emma Straub. Ladies and gentlemen... <laughs> I asked her how to pronounce her name after this poem, and she said it's Borgias. Sarah Borgias rhymes with gorgeous. There was a young woman called Borges who sang in a voice drop-dead Gorges. I, also, I told her I also admired the contradictions in her playful postmodern fiction. She said that's a bloke-dead first name, Jorge, and I'd like to apologise... Publicly to you, Sarah, for muddling you with the dead Argentinian postmodernist, Jorge Luis Borges. Dead now for 40 years. Ladies and gentlemen, from Boston, Sarah Borges. His band is abbreviated as CSNY. Nope, that's wrong. As CYHSY, which is Crosby, Young, Hash. Stills and Young. He's not from round here. Please put down your beer, clap your hands and say yeah. Welcome to Earth, Alec Ounsworth. <laughs> they will all be back. Thanks so much. <laughs> Eugene. Lance. How lovely to see you. How lovely to be here. This is nice, isn't it? I was... I, yeah. was, I wanted to bring something up. Now, you and I have both uh, experienced the Q&A. It's true. Because when you go and 
read books. Yeah. You've had a book. The I've will, had a book. The Will to Whatevs. Yes, it's quite successful for you to have. Yeah. And, and you went to do readings and people asked you A's at the end in the Q&A format. It's true. Well, so Pe- I just... Yeah, people are terrible at Q&As. They really are bad at them. Some are fine. They have a Q, but some have an A when they should have a Q. <laughs> That's right. And I was just reading this article uh, on, on, a, on a website called The Toast. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's called Every Question in Every Q&A Session Ever. And it's written by Mallory Ortberg. Great. And I think he or she... Mallory? He? She? Right. See, my problem. I think he or she did a great job. I'd just like to read you a couple of them. Sure. I'd love to hear them. Question one. I'd like you to know that I'm particularly smart. Here are some subjects I consider to me to uh, I consider myself to be very smart about. There is no question. Okay, that's fine. Number number two. Can you explain why I didn't understand anything you said? Okay, I'm not going back to it, but there were a lot of bad cues in that cue. It's do you remember, true. Do you remember a good one? Uh, no, but I feel like. I definitely, I remember uh, I do uh, a science podcast with Neil deGrasse Tyson, and frequently at the end, and we'll have a Q&A at the end, and people will get up, and sometimes they'll have a really good question, but sometimes they'll talk a lot for a long time about, like, trains, or something, they'll just, and you'll be like, oh, that was a lot of information about trains, any questions? They're like, nope, just wanted you to know about trains. <laughs> They're like, ooh. Another good one in that piece was... Uh, uh, that person over there asked my question a little while ago. Can I have it back? That is, yeah, that's true. Often people still want to talk, which is fine because everyone needs attention and love. And, and another one is, um, I really see that you want to talk what you want to talk about, but I want to talk about what I want to talk about, and I can't understand why you don't want to talk about that. I feel like a Q&A would be always made better if before it started, everyone who lined up to ask the question first got a hug and then was like, do you still want to do this? Because <laughs> sometimes it would be like, oh, no, that's all really I needed. Thank you so much. I'm all set. I don't need to know about how acting works now. Ladies and gentlemen, it's our friend. It's your friend. It's Eugene Merman. Bye-bye. books from many years ago that no one reads at 
Thank you so much. They will be playing with everybody tonight, as they do at every show, as they do so fantastically well at every show. Ladies and gentlemen, a round of applause for the English UK. On the bass guitar, Eddie Carlson. And also on the drums, Adam Gold. On the lead guitar, harmonies and keyboards, David Nagler. The English UK. Thank you so much for coming tonight. Let's kick off the superb array of guests we have for you this evening. I first saw this next young person in Austin, Texas at Antone's. She played a fantastic cover version, which I asked her to play again this evening. And I happened to notice her name near mine on Facebook or one of those things and I just reached out and I said that was great will you play the show tonight and she said yes I will isn't that beautiful <laughs> ladies and gentlemen it rhymes with gorgeous will you please say hello to Sarah Borges <laughs> So, uh, Wes had asked me to give a little introduction to the song, which I thought sounded wonderful. This next song is about a hooker, <clears throat> and I find that hookers are a real crowd pleaser, especially in New York. The truth is always funnier than fiction, isn't it? I'm very pleased to be here with such a wonderful cast of characters in this cabinet. This song is called On the Corner, and hopefully you like it, and if you don't, please don't say anything. Pretty girl, standing on the corner in the way, has some sun. You know you'll get the back of 
Hello. Hello, I'm going to tune this guitar. Okay. I broke one already tonight. One you broke a string? No, I broke a guitar. Oh, yeah, you did. That's I just right. don't want to break this one. No, good idea. I must say, you look quite dashing. Well, so do you. Thank you so much. I don't think dashing applies to women. <laughs> it, it does when they're running away from me. <laughs> I can tell you have quite a lot of practice with that. <laughs> Not from me, you haven't. Uh, the night's still young. Yeah. Yeah. What's unfortunate about this next song, too, I love songs that start with that kind of introduction, but when Wes asked me to play this next song called Stop and Think It Over, I really think it's a great song, and I said, that's wonderful. I have six records, and of all those songs, not one of them uh, of, that were mine did you pick. You picked only the songs of other people. So you just think I suck, is what you're trying to say. No. Okay. I think your songwriting sucks. That's right. completely different. <laughs> Don't at all, but one thing, I apologize, not for saying that, that was no, funny, no. but I, I apologize for the fact that the songs that I picked you didn't write, and I had no idea you didn't write this next one, it's just a great song. Yeah. I liked you singing it. Yeah. <laughs> it's Kiss or Kill up here.
legend. You're listening to the Cabinet of Wonders on Salon.com. I'm Wesley Stace. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Emma Stroud. Hello. Um, I, I wrote this essay about my mother, sort of. It's really about a bad cruise, but you'll see. It's called the three-hour tour. When I was in graduate school, I lived in Madison, Wisconsin, on a narrow spit of land between two lakes. The actual word for this land formation is an isthmus, but no one who is not a crossword puzzle champion or a resident of said city knows what that means. I lived closer to the smaller lake, Monona, which is famous for being where Otis Redding crashed his airplane and died. The larger lake, Mendota, was where all the college kids did their boat sailing and suntanning. I paid neither lake much attention other than taking walks nearby and sometimes stopping to watch the water move in the sun in the summertime or watching the ice stand still in the wintertime. In the warmer months, when the lakes were not frozen, a small charter company called the Betty Lou Cruise took groups of people out on the water for what can only be very generously described as tours. I sometimes saw these groups standing together in the parking lot beside one of the docks when I went to brunch, and my first thought was always, oh, how sad and strange. <laughs> one could walk around the entire lake in a few hours, 45 minutes on a bicycle. The path went by sweet-looking houses and parks in Madison and through a suburb on the far side of the lake. The whole enterprise stuck me as a thing that people did when they had already exhausted everything pleasurable or when family visits went on too long and one simply had to get out of the house. <laughs> My mother, a Wisconsinite by birth and a New Yorker by choice, felt differently. A friend, a local travel agent, had told her about the cruises and my mother thought they sounded charming. She sent me a gift certificate for my birthday, passes for two on the lake of our choice. This did not surprise me. My mother's mother had a closet full of Ferragamo shoes, strings of pearls, and she never washed her own hair. And so it perhaps it makes sense that her daughter went in the opposite direction. My mother long ago stopped buying me clothing or jewelry or anything remotely girly. Instead, we look at art together or she springs for experiential presence, which she claims lasts longer in the memory. In theory, I agree and think such presents are wonderful. In practice, I had zero desire to spend three hours on a lake the size of the Central Park Reservoir. <laughs> the gift certificate sat on my desk for months while I was in graduate school, too busy writing stories and reading books to care much about the outside world. I moved to a different apartment, and the gift certificate moved with me. My mother and I speak on the telephone nearly every day, and every so often she would ask whether I'd gone on the cruise yet. Eventually, it made me feel so guilty that I looked for the damn thing, determined to use it before I left Wisconsin, which was suddenly nigh on the horizon, and it was gone. I panicked. Surely the folks at Betty Lou kept careful records. They didn't. My choices were as follows. I could either call my mother and tell her that I'd gone on the cruise lying through my teeth, or I could do the grown-up thing. I'm a horrendous liar, and so the choice was clear. I bought tickets for myself and my husband, $40 each, and on a rainy morning in October, we lined up on the dock and waited to board. 
Betty Lou Cruises was written in script on the side of the double-decker boat, the upper level hemmed in by a waterproof blue tarp. From close-up, I could tell how small the boat really was, not to mention the lake it was sitting in. The boat smelled like gasoline, as boats often do, I guess. We filed on, though I was fairly sure that it was about to explode. I figured that if something did happen, I would only have to swim about ten feet back to the shore, where I could climb back up and go to brunch on land, as I would have preferred. My husband shot me a withering look, already deeply miserable himself. Captain Steve greeted us in a yellow rain slicker and a monogram baseball hat that read, Captain Steve. We quickly took seats near a window as the rain was coming down just enough so that being outside would have necessitated one of Steve's slickers. Other braver folks, women in belted leather jackets and plastic rain bonnets, took in the view from the outer deck. As we departed, I heard the faintest strains of Otis Otis Redding's sitting on the dock of the bay coming through the loudspeakers. No one remarked upon this, but it struck me as both ominous and vaguely threatening, as in, this lake only looks safe. I began to worry that three hours might be too much time. Captain Steve steered us to the right, taking the lake in a clockwise motion. He announced over the microphone, here's your first view of Monona Terrace, the Frank Lloyd Wright Design Conference Center close to the dock. The first of many views, we all understood because Monona Terrace was the only architectural milestone on the lake. But the bar was open and the warming trays were warmed and we all helped ourselves to small plastic glasses of champagne and orange juice or Bloody Marys and to heaping plates of French toast covered with candied pecans. There were inch thick slabs of pink prime rib for those eager to get a move on to lunch and hash browns smothered with cheese. Everyone piled their plates high and went back for seconds. Most people clustered around the bar, and the one Asian family on board stuck close to Captain Steve, who pointed out things to them that the rest of us didn't see. A legless man in a wheelchair faced a window. Someone had brought a baby who was crying, but we were far, by far the youngest patrons who had come of their own volition. My husband tugged his hooded sweatshirt around his face to block out the noise and the cold misty wind off the water, and I thought, in an attempt to enter a one-person witness protection program. We circled the lake once, and I got as excited as a puppy at the sight of a dock, but no, of course, not yet. We circled the entire lake again, and then a third time. By the time we hit a rock temporarily halting our voyage, I began to wonder if we would ever disembark, or if I had willingly signed us up for the maritime version of No Exit, where we would be with the rain-bonneted ladies and Captain Steve for the rest of our lives. Relaxing into the pain, my husband and I took photos of each other and the rainy deck of the boat and our food. The lake itself looked gray and uninviting, but I thought I could still swim back to shore if necessary. The water would be cold, but I would get home faster. After our misbegotten shipwreck, Captain Steve revved the engine enough to knock the rock loose and we were again on our way. By the time the boat had again reached the dock, my husband and I were feeling solid on our sea legs and rushed toward the plank that would bring us back to land. 
As soon as we rounded the corner onto the leafy residential street that would bring us home, I called my mother to tell her that we had finally taken the cruise and then described it to her second by second while she laughed, her hooting and snorting keeping me warm as we walked the four blocks home. I don't remember many of the gifts that my mother has given me, though a knockoff watch band from Chinatown and bags of margarita mix from her pantry do come to mind. But when I think of her, I don't think of objects. I think of walking somewhere with her arm in arm, our laughs always the loudest in any room, or her clapping along with whatever music is playing, always having more fun than anyone else. If my mother had come on the boat with us, she would have hummed, hummed along to Otis Redding and introduced herself to Captain Steve. She would have been driving the boat, rain bonnet or no, happy as could be. My own happiness during every terrible minute of the Betty Lou cruise came from knowing that when it ended, I would get to tell her all about it. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Emma Stroud. Oh, he snuck on already. He loves to do that. He is one of our favorite, favorite. He's traveled with the cabinet to the West Coast. He lives close enough to me in Philadelphia that we're occasionally able to watch great games of soccer together. Will you please welcome to the stage from Clap Your Hands, Say Yeah. We're very lucky to have him. Alec Owensworth.
This is called upon the state of wave of young blood. Hold on, this is called a table wave? Upon the t- table, yeah, it's about table? somebody down in the dressing room. It's the last name of somebody in the dressing room. I thought it was title, but it was, it's actually Tegel. <laughs> All right, here we go.
Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, Alex Ellsworth of Clap Your Hands Yeah! Next time on The Cabinet, don't miss musician Marshall Crenshaw, comedian Eugene Merman, and writer Amber Tamblin. Join us right here on Salon.com and don't miss an episode. Subscribe to The Cabinet of Wonders wherever you get your podcasts.